Legend has it that there is an ancient Chinese curse that says, may you live in interesting times. Now, I've done some research, and there's absolutely no evidence whatsoever that any person of Chinese descent or any other descent ever said that that was a curse. But whatever you want to believe about the United States of America you would have to admit that we are absolutely <laughs> living in interesting times. And just, just a cursory glance of the last year's worth of headlines and timelines and Twitter feeds would indicate to just even a casual observer that it's entirely possible we're all living under a monster curse of some sort. If you look at what's happening in our country from Ferguson to Dallas, from athletes to anthems to the pandemonium and passion of presidential politics, there's a lot going on. And we are absolutely living in interesting times. And it's especially interesting, I think, for those of us who go by the name Christian. How do we live our faith out in these interesting times? What does that look like? How do we vote? How do we voice our opinion? How do we engage in constructive dialogue? Is the United States a Christian nation? Is that something we should even want the United States to be? And so it's against this backdrop that we're beginning this series today called We the People. I have to tell you that in the almost... 20-year history of Lake Hills Church, we have never, ever done a series like this. I wish so badly you could see your faces right now. You all would be more responsive if I were talking about sex or money. I know, sir, could you please? But no, we're not going to. Because what we're about and what God has called us to as a church family over the next few weeks is so, so important. I'm excited about this. I'm entering into this with a little bit of anxiety and a little fear and trepidation as a pastor and someone called to preach the word of God. But I believe with everything I have that we have to do this. We have to engage in this conversation. We, We have to see what God has to say about this. Now, obviously, we've borrowed the title, We the People, from the preamble to the United States Constitution. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, to establish justice, to ensure domestic tranquility, to provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare, to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. Now... 
I spent a long time memorizing that. (laughs) Now, if you were to go down that list from the preamble to the Constitution, you would find a list of noble goals and desires of the Constitution for, for this country, this experiment in democracy that we call home, that we call the United States. And not coincidentally, every single one of those goals is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, and everybody say but, please. That's but with one T, and it is a big, big but. (laughs) To say that the goals of the Constitution are consistent with the gospel is absolutely not the same thing as saying it is the equivalent or the same thing as the gospel, because the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, eclipses and transcends any document formulated by man. It transcends and eclipses any goal of any nation that has ever inhabited the earth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is bigger than the United States of America, and we have to remember that as we begin this study as we begin to answer some of these questions as we begin to process some of these things so let me just tell you at the beginning here that over the next few weeks most of us I I would say probably even all of us including your pastor will be challenged You, you will be stretched at some point philosophically maybe even theologically you will be possibly even offended at some point and that is healthy and good and right there are points at which the gospel of Jesus is offensive because it runs counter to our nature the songs that we sang this morning as Wesley said every single one of them focused and emphasized grace the amazing grace of of God. The amazing grace of God is amazing specifically because you and I need that grace. You ought to tell your neighbor right now with passion and enthusiasm, you know what? I need grace. You thought I was going to say you need grace. No, 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 no. I need grace. And so as a church, we've got to We've got to just, everybody, I want to ask everybody if you will, can we bring the lights up in the house a little bit? I feel like if somebody started to stand up and rush the stage, I wouldn't be able to see you. Thank you so much. I like, I like to be able to see you a little bit when I'm, when I'm speaking and preaching, but I think we all as a church, let's everybody just take a deep breath right now. Just let it out. We've all got a little coffee breath. That's okay. We're family. But it's imperative that we understand what it is that God wants from us. Because as a church, as the church, the tribe of faith, we are by definition a sacred people living in a secular land. And so that means by definition we're we're always living kind of betwixt and between. We're always in process. We haven't yet arrived where God is leading us and moving us toward. The Bible tells us that we are on the way to being perfected in Christ, because of Christ, through Christ. But heaven knows, and those who love us most and live most closely with us know, we haven't arrived yet. So we're we're betwixt 
and we're between. We, we have to understand that. And so that means that we have to get comfortable with and used to living in some tension from time to time. And this is especially true as we think about living out our faith in this country. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians is, of course, in the New Testament. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Then you get into GEPC, General Electric Power Company. That's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And in Philippians chapter 3, God, working through the Apostle Paul, explains how a sacred people live in a secular culture. Look at what he says here in Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. Now, before we take another step forward in this message, if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Christ, you're, you're not a Christian, you haven't committed your life to Christ, I want you to understand that, first of all, you are so beyond welcome in this place. We pray for and work for and give toward people like you walking in our doors on a regular basis, so we're honored that you're here. And this message, this series, is a little bit of advanced study for you. This is something for you to understand. This is what we aspire to. Not what we always achieve, but what we aspire to. Now, for those of us who are followers of Christ, those of us who have committed our lives and stepped over that line of faith definitively and purposefully and intentionally, we have to understand that we possess, we have a dual citizenship. Christians have dual citizenship. A few years ago, Julie and I had the opportunity to be in Colorado in the summertime, and we visited a guy's home there in Colorado who also lives in Fort Worth. Now, it's interesting because this particular individual was always careful to never spend more than half of the year in Colorado. Because if he were to spend more than half of the year in Colorado, he would owe Colorado taxes instead of Texas taxes the way God wants us to live. <laughs> so he had this kind of dual thing going on, but primarily he was registered as a resident of the state of Texas, enjoying the favor of God and lower taxes. So we've got to understand that as followers of Christ, we have this kind of dual citizenship going on. We, we are citizens of heaven where Christ reigns and lives, where he left to become one of us and walked on the earth for about 33 years or so, died on a cross and rose again. But ultimately, our citizenship is not here. We, we live here. We hang out here. We work here. We recreate here. We live here. We love here. But ultimately, we have a dual citizenship, which means we have to have an eternal perspective in relation to everything how many of you are married right now let me see a show of hands if you're married in the house keep your hands up for just a second if you're married you really need an eternal perspective you need to understand when your husband acts a fool 
It's temporary. It's temporary. This too shall pass. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Some of you are like, please, prayer. We need prayer. No, no, no. Now, how many of you are not married right now? You're, you're a single adult or a student? Hey, trust me. If you haven't found Mr. Right or Miss Right, you may not ever want to, and that's cool too. But your perspective is to be eternal as well. Because we have a dual citizenship. So, so what that really tells us is all of the chaos and craziness that's swirling around our political system right now, that's swirling throughout our culture and our nation, everybody just kind of, it matters. It's very important. It's why we're devoting time to it over the next few weeks as a church. But ultimately, we are citizens of heaven. Jesus Christ remains on the throne regardless of who occupies the Oval Office. God is still God. He is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Some of you may have seen something that's been posted to Facebook of squillion dadgum times, but I I believe this so sincerely. Pastor Andy Stanley in Atlanta said something, I believe, prophetic to the older generation. He said, those of you who are 45 and older like me, he said, for those of us who are 45 and older, stop it. We just need to calm down. If you read Facebook posts or or see people's screeds in the comment sections in newspapers online, you would think that we were living in a banana republic. Let me tell you something. I've been to a banana republic. I spent nine days in Cuba this summer. We're doing okay. You, you think, you, just trust me, you ought to spend two hours in Havana trying to find some air conditioning before you go nuts on the U.S. of A. And Andy Stanley put it so well. He said, stop it, you're scaring the children. <laughs> the first election I ever voted in was 1984. Ronald Reagan re-elected over Walter Mondale. I will never forget the excitement of walking in to the voting booth for the first time. Every election since then, I have heard people say, this is the most important election of our lifetime. This will determine the course of America. No, it won't. You and I will determine the course of America. You need to understand something. And I'm going to tell you this right up front. We will not discuss who to vote for in this series. I'm not going to do it. Because right now, I don't know. Like, I literally, in my heart of hearts, I am praying so hard, I cannot imagine literally pulling the lever. And I know we don't pull levers, but just run with it. I can't imagine scrolling the little circle and going, Him! I can't picture it. And because I can't picture it, then I go, okay, scroll the little thing and go, Her! I can't picture it. I have no idea. I do know this. Disengagement is not an option. We have a responsibility. We have been given the gift of participating in a representative democracy. We have the gift, therefore, the responsibility to participate. So that's why this really, really 
matters. It's imperative. Those of you who are young enough and to, to get disenchanted or, or to think, oh, I'm not even going to mess with it, don't buy the lie. If you can participate, you ought to participate. It's a gift, therefore there's a responsibility that goes with it. We have dual citizenship. Number two, our primary residence is the kingdom of God. Our primary residence and responsibility is the kingdom of God. So before I'm an American, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's primary. That dictates how I view everything that happens around me. And while we're talking about how we view what happens around us, if I may just remind us, as you watch the news, if you watch, you, you, may, you may get home in the evening and just mainline Fox News, okay? You may be someone on the other end of the political spectrum, and for you, MSNBC, man, just tap into it and give it to me until I go to sleep. Just, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm all about. Understand that cable news is first and foremost a business. They're there to make money. So, so as long as you understand that, that will help you to filter what you receive through your news sources. I'm not saying that all of the media is demonic, because they're not all. <laughs> but I'm saying we have a responsibility to filter everything that we see, everything that we receive through the lens of the gospel. The purpose of this series is to make sure that the gospel permeates our politics rather than our politics permeating or possibly even infecting the gospel. Because our primary residency is the kingdom of God as followers of Jesus. Russell Moore is a theologian and an author. And I think he puts this so, so accurately in his book, Onward, talking to Christians. He says, our call is to an engaged alienation. So by definition, as a Christian, we are alienated from culture. You, you may have heard the saying before, we are in the world, but not of the world. So this is that engaged alienation, a Christianity that preserves the distinctiveness of our gospel while not retreating from our callings as neighbors, as friends, and citizens. To do that, we would be abandoning a post which we were assigned and from which we have no permission for leave. The test will be if we can engage the culture without losing the gospel. So we must, as followers of Jesus, engage the culture we're not here for a culture war. We are here to be the hands and feet of Jesus to redeem the culture, to influence the culture, to raise up a generation of leaders and not followers who create art and music and film and sculpture and paintings and lead in the political realm for the purposes of God Almighty. That's why we're here. 
So we, we can't retreat into our little holy huddles and talk about how evil the world is. Oh my goodness, it's so terrible. Did you see on Fox News what Bill... Uh, we, uh, no, no, no. We are here to engage people who disagree with us, people who don't believe the same as we do. But in order to do that, we have to earn the right to be heard. We have to be people of amazing grace. We have to remember where our primary residency lies. So that begs the question, is the United States of America a Christian nation? I've always heard U.S. is a Christian nation. We're a Christian country. Are we? I would suggest to you that spiritually, first of all, primarily, and by the way, historically, we are not a Christian nation. Now, to be sure, most of our founding fathers were devout, devout, sincere followers of Christ. A lot of them were not. Many of our founding fathers were deists, products of the Enlightenment era. Thomas Jefferson very famously cut all of the supernatural, miraculous parts of the Gospels out of the Bible. You open up Thomas Jefferson's Bible, it looked like a piece of Swiss cheese. And the deist perspective, like Jefferson, was that God was somehow this cosmic watchmaker. Impersonal. He created everything, wound it up, and then set it to run on its own, allowing humanity to find reason and enlightenment Elevating human reason above divine revelation. That is distinctly unchristian. So some of our founding fathers and mothers were Christians, some were not. And by the way, to say that a nation is Christian, Christian refers to a person. A follower of Christ is a Christian. A heart and a soul that has been touched by the gospel, redeemed by the gospel, engaged in the gospel, a nation being Christian is something that I don't think we should even aspire to because that would require that the state, the government, would then determine what's Christian. And I don't want the government telling me what's Christian. I want what God says biblically to tell us what's Christian. So we ought to all just kind of relax. We're not losing Our religion, R.E.M. did that a generation ago. (laughs) As long as we hold tight to the gospel and the word of God, we're going to be just fine. And for the record, historically, the church has done its best work as a minority and has struggled whenever it has found itself in a majority power position. So the fact that we are living in a post-Christian America It's just a reality, but an amazing opportunity for us. Also, historically speaking, the United States was never intended to be a Christian nation. This from the Constitution, Article 6, Section 3. No religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. By definition, the United States of America has always accommodated and allowed for a diversity of belief, 
including disbelief. It's not the state's responsibility to advance the kingdom of God. It's the people of God's responsibility to advance the kingdom of God. So so don't look for the state to do what we're supposed to do. That's our job. And, And it's important that we understand that and remember that. Now, a lot of people will quote verses of the Bible and apply them to the United States of America. Now, That's okay as long as you're quoting a principle and not a promise. Because you see, the United States of America is not the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. The the kingdom of God, the church, the bride of Christ, we are grafted into the nation of Israel spiritually, the New Testament tells us. But there are absolutely principles that God communicated to Israel that when we adopt them, work and bear fruit in this world. This is natural law at work. And there are spiritual principles that we can learn from and put into practice. Remember that we are, we are an engaged alien living in a foreign land. Our primary residence is heaven, but here we are living in this world. Look in the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29.7. God is speaking to the nation of Israel as they are in exile. God, throughout Israel's history, allowed them to be disciplined as a people, many times by being subjugated to other nations and empires. And in Jeremiah 29.7, he says something fascinating to Israel that we can learn from. Look at what he says. He tells Israel, work. For the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. So here we are living in exile. Our primary residence is in heaven. We live here on the earth. And God says, work for the peace and prosperity of where you live. Be a blessing in your community. Bring value to people's lives. Let what you do in your work bring value to other people. And and not only work for, but pray for the peace and the prosperity of this land in which you live, and you're not even a part of that country. So as a follower of Christ, regardless of who occupies what office, I pray for, I work for the peace and the prosperity of, of this land where I live in exile. I I lift up my elected officials. I don't post up on Facebook. He's not my president. I don't know where you're living. Here's the deal. Whoever gets elected, we all want them and need them to do well. We need them to do a good job. So pray for that person to have wisdom beyond their own. Pray for that person to receive influence and and leadership from God. Lift them up. You don't have to agree with anything they say. But as a follower of Christ, we're to pray for them. We're to lift them up. We're to teach our children to honor the office though we disagree with the person unbelievable if you've ever listened to third graders talk about an election 
you know what's happening at the dinner table. Our son Joseph was in the second grade. And he came home during a particular election cycle and said that a friend of his in the second grade had decided that she was going to vote for so-and-so in the second grade. And we said, really? Why is that? And Joseph said, very matter-of-factly, well, because the other so-and-so started wars and kills people, and the other so-and-so kills babies, and so they're going to vote for the third so-and-so. Jill and I looked at each other and said, you got to be joking me. I, I, I'll be honest. I thought second grade was a little early to be discussing just war theory and abortion. And yet, that's where we found ourselves as parents. It's a whole other sermon. But as parents, we teach our children to honor the office Romans chapter 13 gives us an incredible, incredible roadmap to follow. This is what the Bible says in Romans 13. Everyone, say everyone. everyone. Not everyone said everyone. <laughs> say everyone. everyone. Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So Christians have dual citizenship. Our primary residence is the kingdom of God. And number three... Our civic duty is one of hope, help, and honor. Hope, help, and honor. Remember the very first verse that we read from Philippians. Our citizenship is in heaven. That means that we've got hope. We, we don't have to panic because election day is coming. If you're panicked over the election, please don't tell anybody you go to Lake Hills Church. I can give you a list of other churches to tell them, but don't put this one on that one. Because regardless of what happens election day and who is inaugurated on January the 20th, God will still be God. Hope. Help. Do everything you can to help our culture win to help our culture honor God to help our culture be healthy starting in the family just 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 at home start there then, then if you've got time worry about your classroom Wor worry about how things go at school and then Okay, then, then we can talk about the neighborhood, the community. You want to be president of your homeowners association? Knock yourself out. I can't imagine, but if that's you, go for it. And if you want to engage people in a conversation, rather than a screed or a diatribe, 
awesome. Be a help. But don't forget to also honor. Honor. You don't have to agree with anything to honor somebody. You, you can honor the office. You can honor the position. Because I've noticed that most of the time when we disagree with a position, we attack the motive. They're trying to destroy America. How do you know that? I mean, you, you sat down and had coffee with her? You talked to him and had a beer in the, in the Rose Garden? Or root beer? It's church. <laughs> Our civic duty as followers of Christ is to be people of hope, help, and honor. Not only so that we avoid punishment by the law, but what did it say in Romans 13? But also to keep a clear conscience. And for the record, it is only by the amazing grace of God that a clear conscience is possible. Because it's only in God's amazing grace that we can be forgiven. That we can step into a relationship with Christ. A relationship that transcends nationality, race, politics. A relationship that redeems us at a soul level. I believe with everything I have, politics matters. Because the word politics means people and Jesus cares about people more than anything else in the world let me let me put a finer point on it Jesus cares about you he cares about me more than anything so much that he was willing to die for you I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to invite you to maybe again take a deep breath, kind of recognize that that didn't hurt so bad. But to understand that no matter what subject we dive into, no matter what topic we cover all roads lead to the cross and the cross radiates into every part of life if you're here today and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus you've never tasted that amazing grace that grace on top of grace then we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To step into that relationship and begin the life that is truly life.
You don't have to pass a test. You don't have to show up at church every Sunday for six months or eight months. You just have to commit every part of who you are to Jesus. And then follow him with everything that you've got. If you're here today and you want to begin that relationship, we invite you just to pray right where you're sitting. A prayer of commitment. Just, just pray out loud, just, or just silently right where you are. Just silently say, Jesus, I need you. I commit my life to you. And I will follow you no matter what from this moment forward. I confess my sin. I claim your forgiveness. And I pray this prayer in your name. If you would, just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. If that was your prayer, first of all, that's the most important prayer you'll ever pray. It's the most significant moment of your life. And it's one that as a church family, we want to help you with. We want to help you move and grow from that moment into the next and the next and the one after that. So if you would, just take the program that you got when you came in today and open it up to where you'll see the connect card inside. And if you would, just, just fill that out and indicate there about a third of the way down, I committed my life to Christ this week. When you fill that out, tear it off at the perforation, just right there on the fold. And before you leave, just hand it to one of our ushers. Just make a personal connection briefly on your way out today so that we can be a church family together, so that we can help. Maybe you've got a prayer request or something else going on in your life that our prayer team can be praying about with you and for you. That same connect card is there for you as well. But as our heads are bowed for just another moment, if, if you just prayed to receive Christ and you committed your life to him, would you just raise your hand quietly but, but boldly? Just raise it up high over your head and hold it there for a moment. As a symbolic gesture, saying to yourself, I'm in. I, I will follow Christ but also stamping this moment in the life of our church because for us as a church, there's nothing more important than that. And so as a church, we honor that, we celebrate that. As you put your hands down, we put our hands together to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.